Hey folks, this is Brian Wenzel. Welcome to episode two of A Talk in the Woods, where we go onto the trails, dirt roads, rivers, and lakes of Maine's forests and mountains to talk to people who live, work, and play in them. I've been lucky to be around land conservation and the outdoors in New England for almost 30 years. For most of my life, I've been tramping and camping in the woods and mountains of Maine and New Hampshire, and it was instilled a deep love and a conservation ethic to maintain these lands for future generations. The thing that really fascinates me is the connection that we as humans have with the natural world, and the Maine woods is such a wonderful place to explore those connections. The people I've met in the woods, on the trails, and coffee shops, and backwoods lodges, have such important stories to tell about their connection to this landscape. This is part two of this three-part series with Steve Tadko. In this episode, which I call Forestry and Philosophy, Steve talks about timber harvesting and its role in the long-term ecological health of the forest, while also balancing many other uses of the forest. You should listen to the intro in part one for the full background on Steve, but he is the Maine Woods Land Manager for the Appalachian Mountain Club, or AMC, which is a 130-year-old conservation and outdoor recreation nonprofit based in the Northeast U.S. In the region known as the 100-mile wilderness, which is about a million acres, it's a mosaic of private industrial timberland along with public and private conservation land. In the middle of it, AMC owns 74,000 acres, which for reference is five times the size of Manhattan. Steve is responsible for managing all of AMC's land, including the trails, roads, bridges, and timber harvesting. The project of the AMC is called the Maine Woods Initiative, which is a huge endeavor balancing ecological protection, outdoor recreation, with trails, campsites, and full-service eco-lodges, along with sustainable timber harvesting, and public access for hunting, fishing, and snowmobiling. You'll hear Steve and I talk as he drove his pickup truck on rough dirt roads and as we walked in the woods to look at recent timber harvests. As you'll hear, Steve loves his job, and I think he was made for this work. And a little context for you, there are a few forestry-related terms that get thrown out that might be helpful. Overstory, that's a term for the slightly older, larger trees in a forest that make up the upper canopy, so to speak. So removing some of those, or overstory removal, which we'll hear, allows for sunlight to reach the smaller, younger trees so they can grow faster. The term regeneration is basically cutting trees in a way to allow a new generation of trees to grow. As you'll hear, replanting is typically not done, especially with more ecologically focused forestry like AMC is doing. They want the natural forest to come in after a harvest, and it will. The long-term plan is to end up with a healthy and diverse forest with multiple generations of age classes of trees. Also, you should know that this was recorded in 2018. I hope you enjoy the conversation. It always astounds me the, the, the suite of products that, that come from trees. I mean, way beyond what most people uh, think of when they think of forest products. And, uh, you know, I guess ultimately you can make a direct line from that suite of products back to the suite of ecological services that also come from those same forests. And so uh, it's just, it's just so impresses me. I, I'm, I'm always astounded when I, when I put, when I paint this picture in my mind of how important this forest resource is. And, you know, it just, it seems to be an ever increasingly more complicated tapestry the more I learn about it, which makes me love it even more. <laughs> Everything we've seen today for harvests 
it's not so much about what we're getting out of it in the present as it is what we're setting ourselves up for in the future. And I mean, you know, I work on a post-industrial land base that, you know, this is this primary function of this land before we bought it was to grow softwood pulp for a paper mill. And, uh, and so that, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, that drove everything, that drove all of the management decisions. And, you know, our objectives are different. We want to sell wood to a diversified market, and more importantly than that, we want to grow old, big trees um, because we believe that uh, without sound ecology, the economics don't work. And, uh, and so that's, you know, that's, that's why we're doing some of these harvests the way that we're doing them, where it's, it's focused more on regeneration and the, and the next age class of trees coming in than it is about uh, capturing value today. So it feels like forestry is, it's sort of like, it's definitely a science, but there's also an art to it of like reading the land and the forest and like kind of almost a subjective feel for what the forest wants to do and what it looks like and when to go back. That's exactly, exactly how it is. I think if you were to look forestry up or a particular silviculture up in the dictionary, it's the art and science of, of growing trees. Yeah, it's uh it's so challenging. It's it's really fun and rewarding work, and it's kind of a guess, in a way. You know, you're you're taking all the available information that you have, and there's a lot. The silvics of a lot of these trees in the boreal forest are very well studied, but sometimes the interplay between the tree species and the soil types and the the, the side of the hill can make the difference in how a tree grows. Like, is it on the south side or the north side? I mean, that that affects how the tree grows. Uh, and you're right. You you have to compile all that information to make the best available decisions. Yeah. And that's you know something, you know where I, I've really enjoyed working with uh, people like Ted Shina, who's the operations forester from Huber Resources, who partners with us to oversee the harvest operations. And he and I work together on our silvicultural objectives. And as along with Dave Publicover, who is our, our forest ecologist and who wrote our management plan, um, you know we're very fortunate that our management plan was written by an on-staff forest ecologist who has you know 20 something years of working for the club and 40 something years of forestry experience as an ecologist. So. Um, you know, I think the club has set itself up for some success by trying to capture as much information as possible uh, and synthesize that all down into on-the-ground operations. And then, but at the end of the day, all that knowledge, you have to somehow conform it to the landscape and make it make sense on the ground in a practical way. And that's where the challenge comes in. Because ultimately, this is a natural forest, and it's going to, and you're, you're net, you're, allowing not allowing but these natural processes are going to do what they're going to do and so how can you i guess ride that in a way right. and and you're taking some of the trees uh you know leaving others behind and guessing you know which ones are going to grow best and grow into right. big valuable trees but really for the vmc there's this also this more fundamental underlying goal of getting the forest from like you said sort of post-industrial not that it was terrible right. but but getting in something that's much more diverse and you know, different age trees and more natural forest that is um, you know looks like what would be here without human intervention right right and that's and that's that's tough right I'll never see that I, I will I am we are at the beginning of this and I mean we've been doing this now for 13 14 years but that's a very short time in terms of the age of forestry or the, the length at which forestry operates. There's a lot that we know about forestry 
and I learn more every day that I'm in the woods. And there's a great community of people here in Maine and, and in the Northeast that'll, that'll help you learn a lot. And, uh, but it's still, there's always that little, little bit of fear in the back of your mind that says, well, did we do the right thing? And, you know, it uh, takes a long time to find out. <laughs> do you think older foresters are jealous of you? I'm jealous of them because they've seen it. <laughs> they've seen, they've had a chance to see what they've done and see if it's worked or not. Yeah. And so those are the people you got to talk to, right? Yeah. Because they've had the experience. I figured, I looked at it from the opposite way that what you do now, you're still going to be able to see the results of. Oh. What they're doing now, they won't. I see what you mean. They've, I still, my answer's still the same. They've yeah. seen it. They've yeah. already seen it. And uh, that's the other thing too. I mean, we all have different objectives. Different landowners have different objectives, and that's okay. That's that's created this diverse mosaic that we have in the Northwoods. Um, so I, it, that's something that's always really important when you think about people's professional careers. That it's people live in different different spheres and operate under different conditions. And uh, I'm just really thankful that I get to do what I do. So describe to so we yeah. can't. You can't see it, yeah. but so what we're, if you were here with us right now, I mean, we're on the edge of a gravel road, and between the gravel road and the bank, there's a ditch um, that's just been um, recontoured with an excavator, and it's all hayed and seeded. And then just on the other side of the ditch is a, is a bank, probably two or three feet higher than the road, maybe four feet higher in places. And there's a cleared strip along the top of the bank, maybe only 10 feet wide, 12 feet wide. And... Uh, you know, in the old days, when you landed wood on the side of a road, you, you yarded wood down the hill or, or down out of a harvest block and piled it up on the side of the road to load it onto trucks. That used to take up acres and acres and acres of land for, for tree-length equipment, you know, when you're pulling a whole tree out. And this, this site that we're... Because you got to cut the branches off. You cut the branches off, and you're just bringing however long the tree is, 60, 70, 80 feet, and then you need a bunch of room to pile that down. This site that we're on here, you know... That strip that I just described is maybe 100 feet long, 200 feet long at most. Um, and then behind the strip? Behind the strip is just one skid trail coming out of the woods where all the wood came down. And then otherwise it's all woods? It's all just woods. And that's, you know, to us. And 2,000 cords? About 2,000 cords came off of this. Site. How many trees is that? Oh, God, I wouldn't even wager to guess. It's a, It was a lot of acres that we, that we, uh, that we worked through here. Yeah. So... But it's, you know, we cut it in such a way that we thinned it out. It was a first entry shelter wood. So there was a lot of, of hardwood here that was really well established. And there was a lot of areas that didn't have regeneration that needed to have regeneration established, thinking about the next crop. And so what we did is we went in and basically spaced the overstory, so the older trees, and, and created light so that we could both uh, grow and give more nutrients to the trees that we left and also to establish a brand new crop of, of baby trees so that at by the end of the day, we want to have four age classes on the land at any one given time, um, which is all about keeping that cycle going. Let some of those big older trees, you know, we look across the landscape here, and right in front of us, there's some big, big sugar maples that we could have cut. Uh, we absolutely could have cut them and sent them to the mill, but those stayed because eventually those will, uh, those will fall over and die and provide habitat for small mammals and small wildlife on the forest floor. And not to mention all the carbon that they represent that we're sequestering. And that's, you know, that's part of the, I think, like, one of the biggest challenges of the job 
for me and particularly the biggest challenge is that you know working for a conservation group gives you uh, gives you food for thought it just talks about this interconnectedness of everything that we do and it's not just about cutting trees here and it's not just about the ecology but it's also about carbon sequestration and you know what is this harvest site what does this mean globally you know is it, and and we need to think about that as a conservation group Mm-hmm. Makes it a little bit nerve-wracking. Yeah, I realized some time ago that forestry was really kind of about sunlight management. Totally, is about sunlight management. <laughs> At least here in the Northeast, where you're dealing with natural regeneration. Yeah, we're 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 just trying to figure out how much light to let on the forest floor and how how much to rough the forest floor up to grow trees. When was this harvest? Uh, Twenty. It was 2017, so last last summer. And I mean, you look like we cut this a year ago, and look right there. I mean, this there's a tiny, tiny, tiny fir sap. There's fir seedling. This year's seedling that's probably only a half an inch tall. And if you look really close, it's been just a year, and they're they're everywhere. We've got some so there's some maple seedlings that are coming up. You know, these trees are only an inch. <laughs> you could barely call them trees. You'd step on a lot of them and not even know it, but it is amazing how much this place just wants to grow trees. And that's why you don't plant, that's for the most part. That's why we don't plant, yeah, exactly. And this is what the ground wants to grow, yeah. is going to grow. You don't need to help it. No, we just manage the light. Manage the light, and then it, it, it does the rest. So it feels like, you know, in terms of comparable professions, it's like a, a kindergarten teacher. You know, really, I mean, obviously they have fun with the kids, but... Oh, we have know, fun with the trees, too. You're, you're, I mean, you're, you're laying the, you know, the, uh, the kindergarten teacher is really, you know, they're laying the groundwork for what that, that kid's going to turn into as an adult, you know, 15, 20 years in the future. Right. And we don't know what that kid's going to go through, right, in that, in that journey, nor do we know what's going to happen to these trees but we do the best we can and we give them the best head start we can. And it's, and we, but the, the important thing for us, it's not always about the trees. We're in a, whereas in education, it's about the kids. Yeah. For us, it's, it's, the trees are just one part of this whole system that we individually are a part of. And so the trees are the only thing that we really can control. The, the trees and how water moves through the landscape. And so we, we do what we can to to do good by the trees because they're the key to making sure that the rest of the ecosystem is functioning. What you hear now is Steve talking about AMC's relationship with local communities and some about public access to private land, which is an informal tradition in this part of Maine. This is interesting and tricky when AMC announced it was starting the Maine Woods Initiative in 2003 by buying 37,000 acres in the backyard of these small rural communities, it raised eyebrows. This is literally some of the least populated land in the eastern United States, and the economy of these small towns has always been tied to timber, hunting, fishing, and more recently snowmobiling in the winter. If you had asked a local hunter, logger, or snowmobiler what they thought about a Boston-based environmental group buying two entire townships in their backyard, they probably would have told you nothing good could possibly come of it. 
It's a testament to AMC that over the years, it's become known as a good neighbor as it tries to balance bringing in new people to recreate, cross-country skiers, snowshoers, paddlers, and hikers, with traditional users, the fishermen, hunters, and snowmobilers, while also doing sustainable timber harvesting. Here's Steve. You know, the club, it's kind of interesting. We, we you know, being that our, our focus is on multiple use management, you know, recreation ranks just as highly as, as forest management, if not higher in some cases. And so, uh, for us, you know, your traditional large landowner cuts a lot of wood in the wintertime. We don't necessarily cut that much wood in the wintertime only because we let a lot of the roads snow in for ski trails. So it's, it's, we, we face some certain challenges that other landowners don't face um, operationally just, just because our value systems are a little different. Um, and that's okay. We work around it as best we can and uh, it means that we have to be really responsive in the summertime with smaller, lighter equipment to cut those really sensitive areas that uh, normally would get cut in the wintertime and um, keeps you on your toes, makes things interesting. And at the end of the day, it's really nice to try to try to work in a, a cohesive way to balance the, the multiple use aspect of our, of our forest in, in a way that's meaningful for all the interests involved. Things are a little more fluid here between people. There's more interaction, more daily connections. Um, a greater sense of ownership. You know, and that's the thing, like when you talk to local people about what's going on on the landscape, without, subconsciously, they're talking to you as if they own it. And that creates, you know, that, uh, that creates tensions, that creates its own system of problems. But I think ultimately what that's speaking to is the fact that people really care about this place. And that's important. I mean, you, it's, uh, it's, uh, that's in a lot of ways is what's kept our, our culture and our little societies here going is that, that connection to the land in a, that breeds this sense of, of ownership and stewardship. But I think what's unique about here, you know, if you go to industrial timberland out in the Northwest, it's gated. There's no public access. So it's just the loggers that have that interface with that landscape. Here in, in Maine, I mean, the fact that we have this gift of public access to private land, you can have a, a direct connection uh, as a member of the general public to this exact same landscape that we all make our living on. And that's what's so unique. It's not that it's gated off and it's, it's kept as just this asset that only makes people money. It does, it does make people money, and that's, that's what's kept it contiguous. But it's the fact that through this long-standing tradition of public access to private land, people can buy into that. They can get their own little piece of what this means. And so I think that's the avenue that conservation brings to the table, is that, um, you know, not that we're always going to get it right, or that we're going to always recognize and key in on everything that we should be focused on, but it, we, bring with it, we bring with conservation or long-term stewardship and long-term management and stability and and hopefully the open-mindedness to accept feedback and to to take into consideration these cultural values of, of the local communities that survived because of these places and uh, that's that's a big charge that's a big ask and I don't know if we're doing it right or wrong but I know we're trying and I think we're making big headway you know, I've had those conversations with people 
as a representative of AMC about about land use and what what's allowed and what isn't allowed and uh, you know it's tough it's really tough and I and I understand where they're coming from and um, you know I certainly understand where the club's coming from and I just feel really fortunate to have been in a position where as a land manager for an organization who believes in public access more often than not the answer is yes we have a place for you and you know tell us what you need and how we can do it and how we can be beneficial we'll figure this out because we want you here this podcast is hosted by the main mountain collaborative this episode was co-produced and edited by lily horn and thanks to Alice Anderson for technical support. To learn more about the region and the collaborative, check out the website, mainmountaincollaborative.org. There is a great video there, including Steve Tatko. And while you're there, please consider a donation to the collaborative, which is a nonprofit organization. You can send us feedback through the website or through our SoundCloud site at Talk in the Woods. I'm Brian Wenzel. Thanks for listening.